You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Okay, so we're at the end of chapter 4, 31 to 44. I'm just going to welcome my wife to come and read for us. Massive round of applause. (laughs) Okay, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to the evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So um, just after we read, I'd like to just pray on the back of it for the words to help us. So Father, we just lift this to you this morning. Ask you, Lord, speak to us through your word. Open our hearts, open our eyes. Let people come to a place of trust in you, uh, a place of freedom in you. And as we see in this... uh, passage let us see your authority and let it bring peace to our hearts lord in jesus name and lord we just want to lift up tom uh, if you don't know tom he is one of the other leaders he's speaking in peterborough this morning i ask you for favor for him lord as he speaks to another church bless that church bless him and uh, help it to be a really fruitful time making good relationships and uh, serving that church well we pray in jesus name amen amen so we've uh, seen this passage and what we see here Uh, One of the things we see here, quite a theme really, is authority. And we see Jesus' authority throughout this passage. It's quite stunning really. We've been singing about how he is on the throne this morning, how he is the one with all authority. Uh, But I wonder if you hear that that, uh, word, what comes to mind for you? I wonder what your experience of authority is. It can be something that can immediately provoke fear in us or provoke... Uh, a distancing of ourselves that we would be concerned about. What do you mean authority? Is it positive in your thinking? Is it negative? What comes to mind quicker, the positives or the negatives? It's very normal these days that people would be fearful of the word and the the thought of someone being in authority over them. And uh, there's good reason for that because authority through the years through the history, has been abused again and again and again. 
The thought of coming under authority also makes our flesh and pride swell up. We think, well, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. No one should have any authority over me. I'm my own man. I do what I want. And so often we can think of authority as quite a negative thing. It can also make us quite envious, thinking someone else has uh, power that I would like. Why do they get that power? I want that power. It can make us ambitious for the power ourselves. But if we're honest, we know if we look at where positions of authority are used well, we know it is a good thing. What would we be in this nation without a police force that could actually work with some authority, without teachers who were given correct authority? I think we need to keep praying that they are given authority. Without military that has authority. And without politicians that have authority, but we need to keep praying for them to use their authority well. Authority is, when used well, a blessing. You think of going into a classroom where there's kids jumping on the table and uh, all over the place throwing things around the room, shouting. The question you might have is, who's in authority here? Who's in charge? Those are the sorts of things that we ask when we think, I need something to change. I need something to happen here. Someone in authority can actually do things. You go into a, a shop and you think, I need to... I need something done about a situation. I need to return something or I need to um, ask why this happened. The other week I went to a, a cafe and, and they had a big um, pallet in their bin and I use pallets for firewoods. I had to go, who's the manager? Who's in charge? Who's the one with authority that can give me permission? Authority means that someone can actually accomplish things, can actually do things, can actually change things. And what comes with authority is responsibility. I said in the first service, we know from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And out of all the things I said in the message, two people afterwards came to me to talk about that bit. <laughs> Somebody said it wasn't Spider-Man, it was Peter Parker's dad that says it. Okay, yeah, that's true. But actually someone else said, no, it originally came from Ben-Hur. I didn't know that. In the Ben-Hur story, and Pontius Pilate says it about the Roman power. And he says, no, with great power comes great responsibility. It's a bit of a twee phrase, but it's very helpful and true. If you're in a position of power, you also can shape things for the better or for the worse. So we are, uh, someone with authority has responsibility. It's very scary to see someone who has a lot of power not taking it seriously, not having a sense of reverence about their own position. If you, if you have someone who has high-ranking officials and they don't have a reverence about that position, they don't have a sense of humility about it, they're not going to be careful with it, it's a very scary thing. You don't want the head of the army walking around in baggy jeans and without a top on and with a lollipop hanging out of his mouth. You want to think, no, this man takes this seriously. It's terrifying to think of people in powerful positions without reverence. What seems to be the decision, the decisive factor about whether we think of authority as positive or negative is trust, isn't it? Do we trust the person in authority? Do we trust the authority or not? Will it be used lovingly or not? And so as we look at Jesus' authority in this story, we can learn, is God in his authority trustworthy or not? And as we look through that, how he uses authority, where he gets his authority from, 
What authority does he have? As we look at these things, and as we trust them, as we take them for what they are written in the word, it can genuinely help. It can strengthen you where you need strengthening, to know the one who has authority uses it well. And it can soften you where you know you've hardened yourself. And you think, I don't trust him. When you see how he uses his authority today, let it soften you. Let it help you to trust him. And let it strengthen you to think, if he's the one in authority, and he shares that authority, and he's over me, I should be full of confidence, actually. I haven't got a puny God. I've got the God who is in control. The people in the passage today, they're struck by the authority of Jesus. His authority in these verses astounds people, it says. We can easily pass over it quickly. We can generalize. Well, it's this kind of godness about Jesus. We don't quite get it. He's kind of magic, and then we just move on to the next bit. But actually, we've been given recordings of these events to learn from, to take understanding from. We're meant to learn from them. The miracles Jesus performed in this passage right through the Gospels, they're incredible in and of themselves. But do you know what? They're supposed to point us to something even more incredible. They're supposed to help us to understand something even greater than just that person was uh, crippled and then could walk, or that person was blind and then could see. But something even greater than that. So what can we learn from these things? We need to grow in trust and love as we learn these things. We're going to look at three things. What Jesus had, sorry, what Jesus had and what he still has authority over. Two, where did he get his authority from? And three, and most importantly, what did he do with his authority? So just quickly, authority, yes, over what? Well, looking through the passage we've just had read to us, authority, firstly, in his teaching. Jesus starts this passage that we've looked at and ends it, it's kind of bookended by teaching. He starts with teaching and people are amazed at what he's got to bring. And then right at the end of the chapter, I must preach the good news. I must go and teach more. He wants to teach, and they were amazed at the authority he had in his teaching, not as teachers of the law who taught with authority that came from other writers and other people that had analyzed it. It wasn't their own understanding. It wasn't their own authority. They didn't write the law. They were just teaching it. But he could teach with one who had authority in his teaching, power in his teaching. And they were astonished by it. Secondly, he had authority over principalities and powers. Jesus commanded the evil spirit, and it had to obey him. He didn't ask it nicely. He didn't you know, plead with the evil spirits. He spoke, be quiet, and it had to obey. Utter authority over evil and over darkness. His word has power. In fact, the phrase be still, or sorry, be quiet, that he says to the, um, the demon in this passage is exactly the same phrase as when he was on the boat and he says, be quiet to the wind and the waves. Which moves us on to the third thing he has authority over is creation and sickness. He can speak to a fever. He can speak to sickness and it obeys. He rebuked a fever. He lays hands on every one of the sick and heals them. Incredible authority in the word, in teaching and preaching, over darkness and demonic strongholds, and also over anything because he created it all. 
He's the Lord of creation. And just as a side point for the, the way that he spoke to the demons, you notice in here as he's speaking to the demons, what does each one of them show? Each one of them shows that they recognize him. They recognize him for who he is. They recognize him in his authority. But there's, a, there's two things that you can pick out from that. They recognize Jesus for who he is, whereas the scribes who have been studying about the law and God for centuries don't recognize it when it's standing in front of them. Isn't that quite sobering? We can study, study, study and still not know him when he's right in front of us. Even the demons recognize. But the second thing you learn from that is just simply recognizing him for who he is does not equal salvation. These are demons. These are devils. These are not people who are given themselves to him, coming under his authority in a uh, submissive way. They come under his authority because they have to. When he says, get out, they have to. But it does not mean by any means that if you think, yeah, I've read enough about this, I think I'm convinced that maybe Jesus was God's son. That's a fantastic start. It does not mean salvation. So just be clear. I need to follow this one. I need to trust him enough to let go of my, my own, no, you can't have that, you can't have that, that's my, no, I trust you enough to say, okay, you have that, you have that, I follow you. That's where you will get salvation from. And Jesus is clear, if you want to find life, you must lose it for his sake. You must uh, give it over and trust him with it. So there's interesting things of just looking at the way he, he relates to principalities and powers with utter authority complete authority. They know who he is. He knows who he is, which we'll come on to later, and they have to obey his commands, not his pleas. So secondly, that was authority over what? Secondly, authority from where? Where's he got this authority from? And again, we could be very quick here and say, because he's God. Right, next point. And that would be true to some extent, but there's way more for us to learn than just giving a stockpile answer. We don't just say, well, he's God and he can do what he wants. That's where he gets his authority. There's a great verse here in verse 42 that says that he departed to a desolate place. J.C. Ryle said on the screen, he says this, he left his public work for a time to be in communion with his father in heaven and to pray. Holy and sinless as his human nature was, it was a nature kept in the regular use of means of grace and not in the neglect of them. Where did he get his authority from? Well, at least in part, and quite a big part, is from being in communion with the Father. Going back to the Father. Understanding, Father, what is it that you want of me? Can you remind me? Keep talking to me. I want to keep reminding myself of who I am in you. What you said over me, what your promises are. I need to keep coming and feeding on the word of God. As he said to Satan a few weeks ago in the wilderness, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here we learn Jesus is well fed. He's not malnourished. And nor would he ever dream of being and still think that he can have authority. If you're a Christian, the authority that is given to us in Christ is quite remarkable life-changing, incredible. But if we are malnourished, we won't be able to stand in it. He's called us to go and be in relationship with the Father. And he's given us, if, if God's own son had to do this, how much more do we have to do? To be, I, God, I need to come to you. I need to come before you. And what I find striking about this is you could easily say to Jesus, Jesus, 
you're fine. Can't you see how much authority you've got? Look at the way you just spoke to that demon. Look at the way you're casting out demons, the way you're, you're batting off sin. You can just speak and things happen. Why do you need to keep going back to the Father? How easy is it us, for us to do something that we think that was good? I don't really need to go to the Father. I think I was on fire yesterday when I preached. You know, I was really good. I think I'll have a day off on Monday. Utter foolishness. God, I need to come back to you. Jesus could easily say, yeah, I think I'm doing all right, actually. He's right in the middle of, of this incredible explosion of fruit. But he's not relying on the fruit for his identity. He's not relying on the fruit for his authority. He's not saying, look at the fruit and you'll see who I am. Or maybe he can say that to others, but he's saying, for me to know who I am, I need to go to the Father. Look at the fruit and you'll see who I am, but I need to remember who I am by going to the Father. I need to go back to him and say, God, what do you want for me next? Not my will, but yours. What will you have for me next? Keep reminding me of who I am. This is what it is to be a Christian, to be in communion with the Father. To hear the Father's promises again and again and again. He is firm. Jesus is firm when he's speaking to these um, demons and when he's casting things out and when he teaches. He's not a man who is teaching and looking at people's faces. Are they with me? Do they agree? Not quite sure. Yeah, yeah? you with me? He's not doubting himself. He's not in any way thinking, I'm not sure if I've got authority here. Do you approve of me? He doesn't need people's approval. He speaks with such authority because he knows he has the Father's approval. He knows where it comes from, this authority. And so they're amazed at him because he's not bothered about whether they agree with him or not. He's teaching them truth directly from his relationship with the Father. It's the same with the demons. He's not speaking to the demons as, I hope I've got enough power. They might be more powerful than me. This, this could be quite a tough one. No, he's completely at peace. His authority comes from the Father. He knows who he is. His authority comes from the Father who gives it. Thirdly, what did Jesus do with his authority? So this is where we can let our fear turn to trust. If you're one of those people you think, yeah, to be honest, I don't love talking about other people's authority over me. And bless you, you may have been through terrible abuses of authority. It could have been at work, could have been a boss, could have been a teacher. And many of you right now will have a certain person in mind. It could be... It could be a church leader. It could be a spouse. And you think there was something, an abuse of authority there. But when we see how Jesus uses his authority, which can, in a moment, change someone's life, cast out death, cast out darkness, speak with such power, and we see how he uses it, we must let it soften where we are determined to say, I'm just going to hold back. I'll give you a little bit, but you know, I'm just not ready to give everything yet. Let's see how he is trustworthy with his authority. Well, first of all, what does he do with his authority? Not so much a thing to look at first, but a how. He uses authority by speaking. He spoke. How did he use it? He spoke. He taught he spoke to creation. He spoke to evil spirits. He spoke to a fever, rebuked a body, rebuked a spirit. He was able to speak into things. This is the might of his authority. And what does it remind us of throughout Scripture? 
particularly in Genesis, the God who speaks and creation comes into being. How can Jesus have this authority other than that he is the God who was there at the beginning? He is the same God who has authority over creation and over hearts and over evil. He has all authority, so much so that in verse 36 they say, What is this word? That's the phrase they use. What is this word? Interesting that they use that phrase, isn't it? And it says that in Hebrews 1, in the past times, God spoke to us through the prophets. In these days, he's spoken to us through his son. God spoke through Jesus. Jesus spoke and it changed things. He was, had all authority. I said at the beginning, someone in authority, when they, when they speak, things change. He shows utter authority when he speaks. Lives changed. Destinies changed. Creation obeyed. Evil was terrified of the voice of Jesus. At the mention of his name, as we sang this morning. Chains break. So what does he do? I've got, to, I think, three things. What does he do with his authority? Firstly, he fulfills the kingdom mandate as he proclaimed in the previous passage that we heard Tom speak last week. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do what? Proclaim good news to the poor. So here he's got his authority and he started with preaching. I've got to proclaim the good news. I've got to preach the gospel. Next, what does he do? He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. What's he doing? Getting rid of oppression, of evil, dark demons. Getting rid of them, saying, you have no place here. He's giving liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed. Those who are under the bondage of sicknesses. He says, every one of them that came to him. And it's a beautiful phrase. We see it again and again. He laid hands on every one of them. God is an intimate God. Not at a distance saying, yeah, next. Yeah, yeah, okay, done. Next. Come in. Okay, go. There's not a conveyor belt just going through. He lays hands on every one of them. It's a beautiful picture of what does he do with his authority? Loves. He fulfills this kingdom mandate. I'm supposed to come to bring back what was intended for us at the beginning. And the demons had to obey him, this strong authority. You see, when, so authority is to lay down oneself to, for the service of others. That doesn't mean it's weak, as we'll see a few times here. It doesn't mean that to be an authority and to be safe, you have to be a weak leader. Not at all. Strength of leadership is a good thing if it's used well. Strength of leadership. He has, he, the demons have to obey him, and he brings liberty through that. So his teaching authority was backed up by his supernatural authority. Many people can talk a good talk, can't they? In fact, you might have even heard someone talk and been astounded at what they said. As it says here, we were astounded at his teaching. But we could be astounded at many people's teaching, or what they proclaim, what they say, precisely because it's false. Because they've made grandiose claims. I think, whoa, is that true? No. The difference with Jesus is he backs it up. He didn't just teach good, clever stuff and, and the coming of the kingdom and saying, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He backs it up with, and here, let me show you. Let me show you a glimpse of what I'm talking about. Let me show you a little bit of the, the liberty that's going to come to you as I fulfill my destiny and go to the cross. And as he teaches, his teaching is backed up with authority supernaturally. He's not just 
flattering. He's not bringing false promises. He's not conning people. He talked new life and he walked it. He talked about the authority of the kingdom and how it made everything new. And then he displayed the power and the words that the people could not yet understand. Lots of the things he was saying, they would be astounded by. They wouldn't understand the depth of it. If you look throughout the Gospels, you hear him telling parable after parable. Some of them, the disciples are like, you know, they've walked on. That was great, yeah. Can you, what did it mean? Can you explain it? He, he, he was telling things to people that, for our benefit, a lot of it, you know, with hindsight, we can understand what the Gospels done. But he was speaking truth prophetically. This is what the coming of the kingdom will look like. And then he was helping them to understand it more with the liberty of the power of his actions. With authority, he speaks to hearts today. He lifts hearts. He speaks to minds, satisfies questions, soothes our fears, speaks to our oppression, brings freedom, speaks to our ailments and sicknesses. See, that's what I'm saying. These these miracles, they were wonderful because they were physical and you could see something happening, but something deep was going on. He's speaking to, imagine the questions that these people would have had for years. I thought God loved me. I thought he was with me. And look, you know, I've got leprosy or, or my eyesight's gone. Or, you know, he, he's doing something deeper than just bang, there's a sh- magic trick for you. No, he's answering questions. This oppression lifted. Someone's gone through for years of pain and suffering. And some of us, you know, you get back pain. You haven't slept well for years. You think, oh, God, this is more than just back pain. This is like torture. This is like God doesn't love me. This is like an enemy, like a demon saying to me, you really think God loves you? Look at this. There's so much more, isn't there, than just a nice story that you might hear in kids' work. He went there and healed lots of people. There's lives being completely reformed. Liberty coming. People's... Joy returning to them. I can't believe this. This must be a new day. This must be something new. This is the authority used by Jesus. All of these wonderful things happening. But interestingly, he says they are not the purpose for which he's sent. They're not the purpose for which he's sent. That's a strange thing. You think, how could this not be the purpose? You know, you're bringing this liberty. And as a Christian... If you know, if you're a Christian, you might think, yeah, well, I get that. He wasn't sent for this reason. He was sent for the cross. Yeah, we get that. No, it doesn't even say that. It wasn't the reason I was sent. I was sent to preach the gospel. That's quite interesting, isn't it? I, I wasn't sent just for this. I wasn't sent just for the cross. I was sent to preach the gospel. I think it's really important that we take on the seriousness, the, the weight of authority and the richness that God gives to his word and to teaching. It's interesting we can be in churches where we think, I don't know what you're like, every individual here. You seem to be listening well today, thank you. But it can easily be, like, I love the songs, and I love when I feel happy in the room. It seems like something's going on, and then I endure the teaching. It could be like that for some of us. You must look at things like this and realize, Jesus holds teaching so highly. Because there are things that I could feel fantastic in a moment. But a gust of wind just takes it away. It's gone. But the teaching of God, it gives me rooting. It goes right in. Something I can grasp hold of and say, this is something I can take with me day by day. This is something that will change situations when I go into them. 
Speaking words, Jesus did. He spoke, he preached, he believed in it. Not just good practices. We hear this phrase that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. You may have heard it before. He said, apparently said this, Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. And it's a lovely sentiment. And it's good, you know, you think, he's right. We must live the gospel. Don't just say the words. doesn't mean anything. But it's also not biblical to just live the gospel and not say the words. Jesus is clear. It is necessary, Francis. You can't say when necessary, use words. It's, it's necessary, okay? So don't hide behind, oh, I'm just being a light. When Jesus is saying, I want you to proclaim. There's power in words. What is the power that comes when we uh, hear good teaching, biblical teaching? Well, it is, there's fruit in as I said, it goes, it goes in. It's, it's a, there's a root that takes hold. And last week in the first service, if I met with God powerfully. Powerfully, I was sobbing. And there was an emotional response. But you, you must understand this. It wasn't just an emotional reaction. It wasn't just a, a nice feeling. God reminded me of a doctrine. God reminded me... He said to me, I love you this much. And I remember, well, we were singing a song. I'll take you through it because at the first service, you weren't there, most of you. And we were talking about arms spread open and got arms open at the cross. And there's something I do with my youngest son, mostly when he's been disciplined for something. And uh, I say, does daddy love you this much? And he said, this much. And that's what he does. And then, he, and then we have a hug. That's, that's after he's been in tears and been upset because we've had to talk something through and... But then as I, was, as I was in the meeting, this much, and the picture came, of the cross came to me. I just thought he loves me this much. And I broke. I was sobbing. It hit me so hard. And you know what? It wasn't just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It was a doctrine that hit me here. It was the word of God that hit me. And I can hold on to that, and I can take that for the rest of my life. I didn't just go to church and think, oh, that was a really, there was a moment in the song that I just liked the progression of the chords, and I just felt... No, it was something I can grow, I can eat of that. And Jesus, you know, as we said before, my will is to do the no, my bread is to do the will of the Father. We eat of it, saying, no, this is this is what it is. God's reminded me of something. There's a friend of mine who got saved last year. He'd been walking the journey for a few years, not yet there. And I was saying to him, What are you waiting for? And he said, I'm waiting for an experience of God. He became a Christian last year. He got baptized here, and I asked him last week. Did you ever get that experience? And he said, I realized I was waiting for the wrong thing because experiences can come and go. He said, but I have had moments of being overwhelmed by God. I said, well, I was thinking this would be interesting. What, what, what was it? He said, it's in the, in the worship when lyrics hit me. I think, yes, that is right. This isn't just someone saying, oh, I was waiting for some fuzzy feeling where I'd feel warm and great, and then, that's great, please don't get me wrong. If you come here and you just think, I don't know what it is, I've known people that said, I don't know what it is, but whenever I go to church, I'm just in tears. What they need is a loving brother or sister to say to them the word. That is the love of God. It's not just a fuzzy feeling. Let me walk you through what it is. God loves you enough to die for you. And he's here by his Holy Spirit. Let me explain what it is. See, Jesus said, I came to preach the word. I thought you came to die. But if I just died, without explanation, what would it be? 
I need to teach the gospel. I need to help people understand. This is what it means. This is what Paul spends the New Testament telling everybody. This is what it means. This is what's happened. Preaching is so important. Please let me encourage you. Be a people who are hungry for good teaching. God has given us good news to hold on to and to declare. What else did he do with his authority? He laid down his life. He laid down his life. It says this in Gethsemane. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father? And he, would, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. How then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Here's Jesus in the garden about to be taken away to be crucified. And he's laid hands on. It's quite funny because they don't say which disciple it was in this gospel, but John drops him in it. It was Peter again. Peter cuts the guy's ear off. You, wouldn't, you would have guessed anyway probably, wouldn't you? Um, but Jesus is going to his death and I love that he says, do you not get who I am, Peter? At any moment, I could have called legions of angels at any moment. I am in control. I'm not out of control when this is happening. This is so that scripture can be fulfilled. This is so that the father that I'm submitting to can be in control. I am always in control, Peter. Do you not know at any moment I could have been backed up by legions of angels? They could have fought back the darkness a little bit at that moment. But his calling is to use his authority, not to just put, push the darkness back a little bit, but to defeat darkness once and for all. That's what he's come for, to end it completely, to put it to death, to take away its threat entirely. Peter, it's not just about this scary moment right now. I've come to go to that cross. And actually, he's in some ways, he's a victim of the cross. In some ways, the cross is a victim of him. He came to take that thing apart. To smash it to smithereens. Peter, I am in control. I am laying my life down for you. To end it completely. Take away the threat entirely. Satisfy death's hunger another way. Peter, put your sword away. Jesus did put the sword to the enemy properly. Your deepest need in that moment at the cross is met and answered. Jesus crushing the enemy by being crushed himself. That's how he uses his authority, by being crushed. Took away the oppression of our debts by paying them for us. Rescued you from rejection. If you're someone who knows, I feel rejected all the time. Do you know that he's won your forever acceptance with the Father? There's no better acceptance you can get. There's no higher calling you can get by being, than being accepted by the King of Kings. He's found your peace by taking the punishment for your deepest, darkest rebellions upon himself at the cross. So the animosity between you and the Father could be completely removed. Any sense of, I'm not sure whether I'm okay with him or not, is completely removed at the cross. He's dealt with your weakness. Do you feel weak today? Do you think I'm pathetic? Do you think I haven't got anything to, to me? There's nothing about me. I'm, 
I'm weak. Well, he's dealt with that by bestowing upon you his own name, the position of being in the beloved son, being an heir. How dare we say we're weak when we're in Christ? This is so much more than saying, aren't we all children of God? Isn't every human being a child of God? There's something so much that we're missing if we think that. We are not all sons and daughters of God. Many are enemies of God. And while we were enemies, he died so that we could become sons and daughters. Right in. I am the door, Jesus said, so you can come right in to this relationship. This is what he does with his authority. Those who are in Christ are not weak anymore, not feeble failures. We are more than conquerors. Dealt with your guilt as the judge of all things declares you not guilty as he has taken out his punishment on the sun. A robe been put on your back, shoes on your feet, a ring on your finger, feast prepared for you. This is how he uses his authority. He's identified himself with you, the king of heaven, taken ownership of us. And he goes on, gets even better. He gives purpose to us, gives power to accomplish his will. Ephesians 2, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what he does. He gives his authority. He lays his life down. He rescues. He shows how trustworthy he is and what his desire is. His desire is to love. If you're someone who's been fearful, I'm not sure what the Bible says here. I don't know if I agree with it. I'm not sure if he can be trusted here. Sounds really oppressive. Listen to this. Look what he does with his authority. He can be trusted. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Now listen to this. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Always in control. This charge I've received from my father. You may have thought that at the cross he laid down his authority. Nope. It was in his authority that he laid down his life. And in his authority that he took up his life again. The cross in some way killed him. But Jesus defeated the cross. He didn't have to lay down his authority at all. He was in complete authority the whole time. He was slain by his own authority. He won the victory by his own authority. And finally, what does he do with his authority? He shares it. He commissions his people to do the same. He commissions his church. He commissions you, brothers and sisters, and me to do the same thing. As we look in Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. That's a stunning thing. All authority is mine. And what do I say next? Therefore, go. 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 Be confident. Know what I've put in you. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Are we supposed to be hiding are we supposed to be in the barracks just hoping that the battle's going to be over? No, we're supposed to be tearing across no man's land. We're on the winning team. We're in him. Go. Be part of what I've started. Bring in the Isaiah 60 promises that the oppressed should be broken free, 
that the captives would be liberated, broken-hearted would be bound up. That's what he calls us to be and do. The gospel is what restores and redeems what is lost, what is broken, what is dead. We go in his authority to redeem, to restore, to set captives free. It's a bit like he's saying, I've given you the key to the dungeons. I've given you the key. Now get people out. Get people out. Have you ever seen one of those movies where someone somehow gets out of the jail and they go around to all the others? Open, open, open. Suddenly you see chaos. All these prisoners set free. He's given us the key to set the captives free. You see it in verse 39. You see it right here in verse 39. It says this. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. We're not saved for passivity. We're not brought into this family to put our feet up. We're brought in so that we got the key. Go and do it. Come on. Set the captives free. There's people lost. There's people bound up. There's people hurting. There's people in all sorts of oppression. We've got the key. We've got the key in Jesus. Just finally, there's one more uh, illustration. If you've seen or know the Narnia stories, the books, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a, there's a lion who is a Christ figure. And there's an evil witch who is a Satan figure. And she has caused that to be winter for 100 years in Narnia. Darkness has reigned. It's a bit like the fall of mankind. And she has also turned many Narnians, these people, into stone and their statues. And at the end, after Aslan has started to bring in the kingdom, as it were, they're in battle with the enemy, and they're realizing we need reinforcements. So Aslan goes to the castle of the witch, where these statues are, hundreds of them, giants and lions and badgers and all sorts of things, and fawns and things. They're all standing there in statues, and he breathes on them. And they come to life. And you know what he does? He's got two little girls with him. He says, come do it with me. He invites them in. Stunning. Invites them in. Come and do this with me. And then when they are, when he breathes on them, they come back to life. Blood coming through their veins again. Warmth again. They're not statues. They're not dead anymore. They've been raised to new life. And what are they raised to new life for? Straight away they go and join the battle. And they absolutely annihilate the enemy. That's what it is to be in this authority. That's what it is to be under this authority. He hasn't just saved you so that you can feel a bit better about yourself. Or maybe get a better car or a better house. And It's nothing to do with that, brothers and sisters. Join me, he says. Join me. There's many more captive. Come on, let's free them. That's what it is. He's here this morning. He's here in his authority He's done the work of breaking the back of the plans of the enemy. He's crushed the enemy at the cross. He's given us the same power that rose him from the dead. The Bible says it. The same power that rose him from the dead. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it back again. That's been given to us. Let's stand in it. Let's pray for each other that we, the world would know the power of his kingdom bringing authority where we specifically need it. You may think... I like the bigger picture of this, but I also know I'm struggling with something that I'm just, it's just tripping me up at the moment. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe your marriage struggles. Maybe other relationships. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you just know it's pride. 
if I could get over this, then I could see this bigger picture that you're painting, but I can't really. Don't waste today. Don't waste today. Don't go without saying, brother, sister, someone with you, can we just pray about this? Because Jesus is here in his authority right now. He does back up his word. He will set prisoners free. He will heal you. If you say, look, it's not really a, a, a concept. It's actually I am struggling with back problems. Let's pray for you. Let's pray for each other. Let's be the people who we say, oh, he's given me the key as well. It's not just for the preacher. It's not just for the leader. It's for all of us. He says to the little girls, come on, come with me. This is what it is to know Jesus and be in his authority. Let's do this, shall we? Let's do it even now. As we sing, we'll sing, sing a song. And then, and then even during the song, pray with each other. Come over to the prayer area. You don't have to be prayed for by a, a, a professional. We are not professionals in the prayer area. We pray for each other. Everyone's got a key. Everyone's invited because of his authority. Okay, let's stand, shall we? Let's celebrate. Let's be the people of God, redeemed, freed from the dungeon, with the key to free others. Let's enjoy him together. Early on in the service. Um, there was a word of knowledge brought down to the front, uh, which, uh, so just as we were entering this last song on the prayer time, uh, the word uh, was that there was uh, someone, a lady probably with a issue with the left wrist and a lot of pain in the left wrist, left wrist and the pain was physical pain, but it's also causing issues sort of beyond that physical pain. So uh, we believe that that's, uh, that's you know, God through the Holy Spirit revealing something to us. So if that's uh, anything uh, that, that's aligned with you, then uh, do come up for, for prayer uh, as we sing and at the end of the service. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.